Bonnet Law and HR update. In this episode, we're going to be having a look at vaccines and in particular the COVID vaccine and whether employers can force their employees to have the vaccination. I'm Matthew Huggett and I'm a partner at Carbon Law Partners. And I'm afraid there is a little bit of a disclaimer that we have to provide. This is not intended to be legal advice, this is information only. If you want to get some legal advice on the do's and don'ts, uh, then please do contact us directly to discuss your specific circumstances. But without any further ado, let's get into the uh, meat of the topic. This is all about COVID vaccines and whether employers can force, require their employees to have the vaccine and what they do if they refuse to have the vaccine. Um, And this has all come about because of the recent press reports involving Pimlico Plumbers, which has given it a a rather high profile over the last few days because they have come out and they have said that they intend to contractually require all new recruits to have the vaccine. And if they don't, then they won't be recruited. Unsurprisingly, I mean, the, the government has immediately come out and the government in the form of the vaccines minister, Nadim Zawahi, um, has criticised the approach that Charlie Mullins is taking um, and stating that it would be discriminatory of him to insist that all employees are required to have the vaccine. And so, well, what is the legal position? So let's have a look at it. So first of all, we need to have a look at Pimlico Plumbers itself because Pimlico Plumbers operate a model which is based upon self-employment and worker status rather than employees, as I suggested uh, just now. And therefore, the reporting of this issue is slightly um, skewed in my view. So first of all, let's take each of the points that we're looking at here. So if we are to change the contract and by putting a requirement of someone to have the vaccine uh, in that contract and to require new recruits to sign up to that contract. So we'll put the existing employees to one side at the moment. But if we put a requirement in the contract of employment for someone to be able to provide evidence that they have had the vaccine in order to accept the job, in the same way that, say, for example, we would do in relation to providing satisfactory employment references, uh, providing satisfactory evidence of the right to work in the UK, and pre-employment medical. And so on the face of it, that seems acceptable. After all, if they refuse, there would be no claim for unfair dismissal because, of course, they haven't been employed at that point. Um as they would not have started their employment. So, what about the discrimination point? So, there are discrimination potential issues here, um, but we need to have a look at what they are. So, of course, first of all, the vaccine, or should I say the vaccines, because of course there are a number of different variants of the vaccine now, um, the vaccines may not be suitable for everyone. For example, somebody with a suppressed immune system may not be able to have it, and this could give rise to a disability discrimination claim. As I said, it's going to depend upon the type of suppression of the immune system and also the type of vaccine used. So it's going to 
vary quite considerably on a case-by-case basis. And, of course, we've seen that the development of vaccines is travelling at an incre- incredibly impressive pace. And so this is this is a, uh, a sort of moving target, isn't it? Because we, you know, what might be true now it might not be true in um, two, three, four, six months' time. But essentially what that means is that any requirement to have the vaccine would therefore have to have some exceptions to make provision for this sort of situation in relation to somebody's uh, somebody's health and somebody's potential disability and that disability then being the reason why they can't have the vaccine because if the disability is the reason why they can't have the vaccine and we're making an offer of employment conditional upon having the vaccine then of course we're going to get into a situation where we've got a discrimination arising from disability claim um, to have a look at um, or should I say to defend Um, we've also got the issue here of religion or belief discrimination potentially so there is there is first of all I mean there's there's a lot of talk about the fact that often people refuse to have vaccines because of the gelatin from pigs that therefore make it um, uh, non-compliant with vegans, non-compliant in relation to halal. Um, and, and, and so that, that then leads to that belief then impacting upon whether they are going to take the vaccine or not. Now, this isn't relevant to the COVID vaccines so far because the COVID vaccines, the Pfizer, Moderna and Oxford AstraZeneca vaccines do not contain any of this and nor do they contain any animal products. Um, unlike the uh, the vaccines for uh, nasal flu, one of the MMR vaccines or the shingles vaccine or ch- chickenpox vaccines which do commonly have some gelatin in. And in fact the British examic Islamic Medical Association has also gone further and and recommended that uh, people who are eligible to have the vaccine should have it and they stress that there is also negligible alcohol in it no more than bread for example so in terms of the sort of religious basis or potentially the race discrimination basis it it would appear on the face of it that there is a very low risk of discrimination claims arising uh, from any refusal uh, to take the vaccine for those reasons. Then we turn to the issue of people who are refusing to uh, take vaccines because they don't believe in uh, in vaccines. And you know this is where we get this you know the sort of rather sweeping um, generalization of people being referred to anti-vaxxers, but. But for people who don't agree with these vaccines, therefore we've then got to have a look at well, what, what does religion and belief discrimination law look at? What does it protect? And this is then when we go back to the case of Granger and Nicholson, which is now some 10 years ago now. And that case set out five criteria in order to establish whether somebody was uh, protected by the religion and belief uh, protected characteristic. And they are that... One, the belief must be genuinely held. Two, it must be a belief and not an opinion or a viewpoint. Three, it must be a belief which is weighty and a substantial aspect of human life. Four, it must attain a level of cogency, seriousness, cohesion and importance. 
And finally, point five, it must be worthy of respect in a democratic society. And that is to say, it must not be incompatible with human dignity and not conflict with the fundamental rights of others. Now, of course, it's going to be interesting to see. And it's particularly, I, my view is that I think it's that this last point that is going to be the one that is of uh, greatest relevance to any uh, any individual who is making a claim for religion and belief on the basis that they believe or should I say putting it the, the other way around they positively believe uh, not to believe in vaccinations and and so it's it's very it's very difficult to make some sort of sweeping generalization about whether these people would be covered or or not or whether these people would be protected or not because it really is going to change on a case-by-case basis I mean whether somebody has a strong enough belief um, in itself, whether they live their life in a way to, that um, underpins the belief that they have, is going to vary on a case-by-case basis. But for those people who are saying that they, or stating, claiming that they do have this belief, and that that belief is significant and weighty enough in order for it to be protected under discrimination legislation, I think it's going to be a uh, a small proportion of people that would be protected in this way but it is certainly possible for them to be protected and isn't something that necessarily we could rule out albeit that tribunals some tribunals may have some issues with um, the last point of Granger and Nicholson and providing protection to people who um, uh, who believe that it's correct not to be vaccinated um, because it's all to do with uh, with human dignity and not conflicting with the fundamental rights of others, and whether in fact not getting vaccinated there then has an impact on the fundamental rights of others. And this is then when we get into a big issue about, and also an unproven area about whether in fact um, uh, being vaccinated or unvaccinated is actually going to have it, uh, an effect on others or not, or whether it simply impacts the individual themselves. So a very uncertain area and certainly what it does show is that discrimination legislation is entirely relevant to the uh, vaccination uh, issue and whether you can require employees to have the vaccination. Um, most of the risk here does re- does uh, lie within the disability discrimination area though um, although there is some potential within religion and belief. So hopefully that gives us a, a, a reasonable summary of uh, the discrimination risks. And so the, and as I've uh, as I indicated when I just sort of started this section, that that's the, the discrimination risk which is particularly um, applicable, or should I say, it's um, always also relevant before you recruit someone, which is why putting it in the employment contract as a condition upon accepting the role could cause issues. Of course, it does also apply throughout employment as well, so after the person has been engaged. So if we then have a look at um, the contracts themselves, so to what extent can we actually change people's contracts of employment? So putting the discrimination point to one side a moment, let's assume 
that the individuals that we're now having a look at don't have any potential discrimination claim. So if they don't have a potential discrimination claim, can we therefore push on and change the contracts of employment and require uh, people to be vaccinating? For current employees, this is potentially quite complicated because if you're going to change contracts of employment, then you've either got to do that through agreement and of course, if somebody has got no objection to having the vaccine, then uh, they're probably likely to uh, have the vaccine in any event. And so therefore there would be no requirement to put it in their employment contract because they're simply going to get it. The difficulty that you have got in relation to those that don't want to have the vaccine, and so therefore you want to force to have the vaccine, um, is that they're then not going to willingly accept a change in their contract of employment. And so then we're potentially having a look at either dismissing and re-engaging those employees or simply imposing the change on them. Now, both of those options come with uh, significant risks. Um, not only risks in relation to whether, in fact, it's going to be a a fair dismissal because first of all if we're dismissing and re-engaging then we've got to show that the original dismissal even if they do re-engage is a fair dismissal of course if they don't re-engage um, then we also have to show it's a, a fair dismissal but of course the consequences are going to be that much more significant because then they're going to have ongoing financial loss through uh, because of uh, their lost earnings if we impose the change, then we could be facing constructive unfair dismissal claims if then an employee decides not to accept that change. And in any event, it might be that they don't resign until the actual clause that has been changed has taken effect. So it doesn't necessarily mean they have to resign straight away. And so we could have a, uh, a sort of simmering pot of trouble there that we're going to have to uh, sort out at a later date. But as I said, both carry significant risks in relation to unfair dismissal. But even if we do get that change in employment contract for existing employees, does that mean that we can then take the the next step, which, which of course is the reason that we would want to make that change, which is can we discipline or dismiss people who then don't get the vaccine? After all, we've changed the contract of employment and placed a specific obligation on them to have the vaccine. So surely now we can go on and dismiss and um, uh, sorry, dismiss or discipline those employees. Well, again, this is where we're, we're hitting a few hurdles here. So tribunal, in our view, is going to be reluctant to effectively permit employers to force an employee to undergo a medical procedure to keep their job. So their starting point is highly likely to be sympathetic to the employee. However, we then turn to some ACAS guidance, because ACAS have pub helpfully published some guidance in this area. And they have said that a refusal to be vaccinated could, in some situations, result in a disciplinary process. But this would turn on whether it's necessary for the employee to have the vaccination in order to do their job. Now, the example that they've given here is quite narrow in that they've stated that, for example, if staff travel to other countries for work and need the vaccinations, then that could be an appropriate situation in which uh, you could then uh, discipline that employee for not having the vaccination, not being able to do their job. 
They also go on to say that if you're going to be doing that, then what you should do as an employer is agree with the workforce representatives, whether that be your recognised trade union or uh, other employee reps or other consultative forum. That agreement should be in writing. And for example, that should be in a workplace policy. But they also go on to state generally that employers should support staff in getting the uh, COVID-19 vaccine, but they cannot force staff to be vaccinated. And, and this goes back to the point we were making earlier, is that you, you know, you, you're not going to be able to force an employee to have a medical procedure. You can't sneak up behind them and give them a jab in the arm. And so we need to tread a fine line here in terms of what are the business reasons that we've got? Why is it so essential for the vaccine to be uh, administered to the employees? particularly in light of the fact that actually the government's position is that the vaccine isn't mandatory. It is a, a voluntary vaccine. People are not being forced to have the vaccine. Um, and so what else can an employer do with employees who have not been vaccinated if dismissal or disciplinary action isn't actually reasonable? Well, another possibility is that you may decide that on health and safety grounds, although we'd need to be very clear about what the precise nature of those health and safety grounds are, but on those health and safety grounds to not permit individuals who have not been vaccinated to attend the workplace. Now, of course, this then rises uh, uh, or gives us a few other issues to deal with. Um, first of all, and the most obvious one, is that younger workers are unlikely to have received the vaccine until the last phase of the immunisation programme by the NHS. And so accordingly, if we're taking this stance... Um, before those younger employees have had the opportunity to be vaccinated, then we're going to come up against an age discrimination issue straight away. We then turn back to the disability discrimination issue that we spoke about a little bit earlier, that therefore if a reason that somebody hasn't had a vaccine is because of an underlying health issue, then barring them from the workplace is going to be an act of dis disability discrimination. And if we haven't changed the employment contracts, then we're going to be in a breach of contract situation, an unlawful deduction from wages situation, and also a constructive unfair dismissal situation as well. So that that possible option is, uh, or should I say, carries with it a number of um, fairly negative aspects and uh, hurdles that we'd have to deal with. Um, so in light of those sorts of considerations, you know, the other things that you could do is to have people working from home or regular testing of employees that haven't been vaccinated. And then the final option that we've got here focuses in on those employees who have got less than two years service. So an employee who has less than two years service, as of course we're all fully aware, they do not have a right to bring an unfair dismissal claim unless that unfair dismissal claim uh, falls into one of the automatic unfair dismissal categories. But for a normal unfair dismissal claim, um, there would be no right to bring a claim. And so with, with less than two years service. And so therefore, if you have employees with less than two years service and you are comfortable that there are no discrimination issues whatsoever that affect them and they refuse to have the vaccine, then there is the possibility that you could then dismiss them. But this would appear to me to be a, a rather inappropriate route to take because A, it's not going to solve your problem because 
you are still then going to have every employee who has more than two years service and hasn't had the vaccine still coming to work. So what have you gained by doing that? You're likely to have lost a number of good employees. You're going to cause a hell of a lot of employee relations issues um, by, by doing so. So it appears to me that this would be an entirely inappropriate route uh, to take, albeit legally it might be it, it might be okay to. Um, so really, where does that leave us? Well, this is, of course, a developing situation. The vaccine rollout program is gathering a pace across all of the risk categories and across the general population as a whole, and one that we need to keep an eye on. Of course, if the government were to make the vaccine mandatory at any point, although that looks incredibly unlikely that they would do so, but if they did do so, then this could mean that there is a shift in the approach that employers can take. But what I would say is that you need to be taking an approach of encouraging employees to have the vaccine, providing as much information as you can about um, who employees need to contact, the right bodies, the GPs, etc., for them to contact to make sure that they're getting the vaccine at the appropriate time. But anything beyond the provision of information, anything that requires or compels an employee to have the vaccine is going to be problematic. It's not to say that in some instances you might be able to require people to do it under a contract of employment, but as I've said, there are a number of really significant issues, and so therefore this is going to be very much the exception and should be driven by the specific nature of the role that is being undertaken by that individual or or individuals and where you can show it is absolutely necessary to have the vaccine but i'm struggling to think other than the the uh the example that acas have given in their guidance i'm struggling to think of any specific situations where that is going to be absolutely a requirement so watch this space communicate with your employees uh, but other than that there is uh, in all likelihood, a very limited course of action that you could take to try to compel employees to actually have the vaccine. Of course, any questions, any queries that you might have, then uh, please do get in touch with us. Um, you can get in touch with me directly at matthew.huggett at carbonlawpartners.com. That's matthew.huggett at carbonlawpartners.com. Um, or just have a, or have a look for me on LinkedIn, Twitter, and also check out our YouTube channel as well. And we'll also be providing lots of updates uh, through those mediums as well. So I hope you found that useful. Um, please do take care and uh, hopefully speak to you soon. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye.